morning. <clears throat> I'm reading this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, from Psalm 27. I'm reading from the um, English Standard Version. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, Lord, your face, I do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is God's word. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take courage. Wait for the Lord. It was Christmas season 1999, so almost 20 years ago. I was in the midst of my first year of graduate school, and let's just say that graduate school was a wake-up call academically. The reading, the writing, the studying, I was wiped out. And I needed some form of simple, mindless escape. And for me, that was a Nintendo 64. It was 1999, okay? But it was, for me, a Nintendo 64. That's really what I wanted. Just something to just chill out, relax when I didn't have to study. And Christmas Day came. And uh, Becky and I were, we were married about a year or so by then. We visited my parents' house. The nice thing about preaching is you can talk about relatives and they don't talk back to you. Uh, Not yet, at least not publicly. So we went to my parents' house for Christmas and my parents gave me a box. And it was like the size of a Nintendo 64 box. And I began to get excited. And I ripped off the wrapping paper, and there was a box. 
but it was like a cardboard box. It wasn't a Nintendo box. And I thought, oh, because I had been dropping hints to everybody that I knew. It'd be great to get a Nintendo 64. So I'm like, oh, they're, they're definitely on to this. So I thought, well, maybe the Nintendo 64 box is inside the box. So I opened the bigger box, and, and what I found, I didn't know what it was. It was all these seemingly unrelated things in one box. I found, I found a leather sack and this, this red plaid material and, and, and these black pipes that appeared like they were made out of some sort of polymer. My parents had bought me a set of bagpipes. <laughs> now, not just bagpipes. They were, I came to discover, bagpipes made in Pakistan. Now, a good friend of mine spent some time in Scotland, and he to this day teases me about my Pakistani bagpipes. Apparently, they're not made very well. Anyway, um, here I am staring at a set of bagpipes that I had not asked for. And, and my mom had thought, oh, well, he's a musician. He'll just figure out how to play them. Um, no instructional manual, no lesson program, nothing like that. And, and one doesn't simply pick up a pair of, a set of bagpipes and play them. Okay. So, I never really learned how to play the bagpipes. I still have them. I still have the bagpipes, but I never really learned how to play them. I had no time. I was studying all the time. That's why I wanted a Nintendo 64. Anyway, um, I waited and waited and waited and anticipated, and what I got on Christmas Day from my parents in love and generosity, I didn't want. And so in that moment, I was disappointed. And you know, we're waiting for all sorts of things, aren't we? Maybe even this Christmas season, you might be waiting for something. Maybe it's a gift that you're anticipating you might get. If it involves bagpipes or Nintendo, please see me. But we're all waiting for something, right? Maybe we're waiting for, maybe we're waiting for uh, a person. We're waiting for somebody to show up in our lives, somebody to show up again. Maybe we're waiting for an apology. Maybe we're waiting for a job or some form of success. We're all waiting. As Dr. Seuss once wrote, maybe we're waiting for a pot to boil or a better break or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with curls or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. The Psalms remind us that waiting is life. Waiting is life. And from a biblical perspective, more than that, waiting can be very good. Waiting can be exactly the thing that you need the most. From a biblical perspective, waiting is essential, provided you learn how to wait well. And as David meditates in his prayer recorded in Psalm 27, you will discover to wait with patience. Wait for the Lord with patience because God will show himself and do what's best. And that's what we're going to think about today. We're going to talk about when we wait and how we wait and why we wait.
the times in our lives when we find ourselves waiting, how in those times to wait, and ultimately, what's the reason for waiting? Why? Why does the Christian wait? So when do we wait? I think very simply, we find ourselves waiting in times when there is no action or movement, when we do not have an answer, and when there is no response. That's when we're waiting. And David's prayer, in a moment of waiting for him, David's prayer progresses through three stages of thinking, or, or three states of emotion. The first stage of emotion is no fear. No fear is his response to his adversaries. Apparently, according to verse 12, there are these false witnesses going around, attacking his character viciously. And his response to this is no fear. Look at verse 1. He declares, and this is, this is one of the most famous, the most famous choruses in all of the Psalms. Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And this confidence that David exudes here in his prayer and his singing, it comes from a very personal faith. If you look at verse 4, he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He then goes on to say in verse 6, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Remember, this isn't a time of adversity for him. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I will more than anything desire and seek after the beauty of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. And you've got to see that to the ancients, the temple, the tabernacle, it wasn't simply where you go to make sacrifices, it was where you went to be in the presence of the Lord with his people. There was no disconnecting for someone like David, the house of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord. And so the believer's ability to wait well rests on his delight and his desire for God. Think about it. When you're waiting on a long line at an amusement park for that ride, you're waiting a half an hour for a six-second ride, it's not that bad when you're with a friend. Take that same friend that you really enjoy to the MVA with you, and it won't be that bad. Waiting on a really long line isn't so bad when you're waiting with somebody that you enjoy being with. You have things to talk about. You admire and appreciate that person. You want to catch up with them, and you'll stand anywhere as long as it takes if you're standing in line with the right person. And in a sense, David's ability to wait well and to exude this no-fear attitude in the midst of danger and enemies, it, it rests fully on his delight to be and seek after God's presence in his life. That's where it all comes from. But the no fear attitude very suddenly shifts in verse 7 to a new way of thinking and emotion. How long? The no fear transitions suddenly into a how long, O Lord, way of thinking. Because David begins to express doubt over God's silence. 
an apparent absence. Because after a while, waiting does get old. And so in verses 8 and 9, he says, he cries out, You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Hide not your face from me. Whoa. Now this is an exasperated person now. And you know what this is like, right? You cry out. You cry out to God. You cry out for help and you cry out for an answer and you hear nothing and you see no movement. And waiting gets old and you begin asking the question, what is God thinking? Just like when somebody gives you the silent treatment in your life, you begin wondering, what are they thinking? I wish they would say something. And you start thinking that way. You wait and you wait and you wait and God doesn't move and God doesn't respond and God doesn't answer. And you begin to wonder, what is God thinking? And that type of questioning leads to another sort of questioning. Does God really care? And that type of questioning leads to another form of questioning. Is God even there? But wait, hold on. Because the transition shifts again. We go from a no fear attitude to a how long, O Lord, attitude to a wait. No fear, how long, and finally, wait. David's tone shifts again as he makes an amazing declaration in the midst of his trial and waiting. He says in verses 13 and 14, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What he's saying there is, I think I'm going to get through this thing alive. God's going to spare me. I'm going to make it through this. And he goes on to conclude, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He's saying this to himself as he meditates. See, Psalm 27 expresses, really, the heart of the entire Bible story. The whole message of God in the Bible can be expressed right here in Psalm 27. It's this. Despite our sin, despite living in a fallen world, God is for you and he will not abandon you. That's David's conclusion. And if you haven't in your waiting... Whatever you're waiting for, whomever you're waiting for, if you haven't reached the same conclusion as David, you should be asking yourself now, what's missing? What am I missing? I'll tell you what you're missing. Patience. That's how we wait. That's how people of faith wait. They wait in faith, which is to say they wait patiently. Faith cultivates a patient attitude. Look, waiting is at the very heart of biblical faith. Abraham and Sarah, we saw this for months. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years before their promised son was born. The Israelites waited 2,000 years before their Messiah came. It's partly what we're remembering. That's half of what we're doing during the Christmas season is being reminded of the fact that Israel waited 2,000 years for their Messiah to come. We're waiting for him to come back. And during those 2,000 years that Abraham and his descendants waited for their Messiah, what happened during all of that time? They were in and out of bondage, waiting in and out of bondage, in and out of migrating from one part of the world to another, in and out of captivities, 
in and out of being subjugated by foreign powers, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then the Bible says in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the righteous shall live by faith. Therefore, living by faith requires waiting for God to work. If you didn't have to wait for him to work and speak, it's the, you don't need faith. And the New Testament says that a day is going to come. We even sing about it in an old hymn where the faith becomes sight. When God does appear, when you do see him, when he does finally move, when he does finally speak, you don't need faith anymore because God is right there. What essentially is faith? It's trusting that what God says, God is going to do. So the very nature of faith is waiting for God to work, is waiting for God to finally speak. And so patience is at the very heart of faith. To be impatient is the very opposite of faith. And faith-guided patience will actually have a tremendous impact on your life. We don't have a lot of time, so I'll just give you two very brief examples of what faith-guided patience does for you. In your personal conflicts, or as you look at your society and you look at the world and you see injustice and you see oppression and it grieves you and it angers you, still with faith-guided patience, you can avoid bitterness and vengeance. Look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Here's another example. When you're afraid or when you're exhausted. When you're afraid or when you're exhausted and you're tempted to give up on a situation or on a person or on a project or a responsibility, you're afraid or you're exhausted and you're tempted to give up or you're tempted to give in and compromise your principles and your conscience, you don't have to. By faith-guided patience, you can persevere in whatever it is, the right thing, the good thing that you're doing. Really quick example, the Apostle Paul was beaten and ridiculed and harassed from one city to the next in ancient Greece on his second missionary journey. One city after another, he was, finally, he was exhausted and he showed up in the city of Corinth, exhausted, tired, and he says to the Corinthians in one of his letters to them, you remember what I was like when I showed up. I was, I came to you in fear and trembling and in much trepidation. That's kind of a paraphrase. But this is what the Lord Jesus said to Paul. In Corinth, when he showed up beaten up and harassed and exhausted and afraid, the Lord said to Paul one night in the vision, do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent for I'm with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. When you're tired, when you're scared, when you're ready to give up or give in faith guided patience will enable you to stay the course to do what's right. Since God doesn't often move quickly, Michelle Jones, who's part of our church, she, she likes to say, God doesn't move quickly, but he does move suddenly when he moves. We want him to move quickly, but he doesn't typically. But when he moves, he 
move suddenly. So since God doesn't always move quickly, it's important, like David, to cultivate a heart of patience. I don't mean temperament. Some people are, have a temperament or a personality. And whether, whether you're excitable or whether you're chill, whether you're extroverted or introverted, that's not what I'm talking about. Oh, he's just a, oh she's just a patient person. No, we can all cultivate patience. We can all cultivate an attitude and a posture in our lives of waiting on the Lord, waiting for him to speak, waiting for him to act. And that's what David is cultivating. And I'm saying it's what you need to cultivate. Dan Allender and Tremper Longman decades ago wrote a book called The Cry of the Soul. We have it on our book table. And what they do is they work through the Psalms to teach us how to analyze our emotions Because our emotions tell us something about how we are relating to God in the moment. They go through many, many different human emotions. And in that book, they say, it's no surprise that the Bible links hope in God with a willingness to wait. To wait is to have confidence that God will bring justice. God will satisfy the depths of our desire. But it will happen in his time, not in ours. As Jonathan told the kids earlier, you know, if, you want, if you want chocolate chip cookies, don't just eat flour. Right? Don't just eat them when they're raw in the mixing bowl. You could get salmonella poisoning from eating the raw eggs. Don't grab them and eat them when they just come out of the oven because you'll burn your mouth. You have to be patient. So wait for God. Wait in faith and in hope. And cultivate a patient heart. Patience is lost on people who will not surrender control, my friends. Allender and Longman went on to write, God does not do as we demand. Newsflash. God doesn't do as we demand. He can fulfill the desires of our hearts, but he doesn't do what we demand. He makes us wait. And listen to this. The weight intensifies our desire, and it exposes our loss of control, compelling us either to trust him or to turn against him. In that moment when you are waiting, one of two things will happen. You will either be drawn to God and trust him more, or you will be driven further away from him in doubt. But the waiting, the silence That's what gets your attention. It was Ben Stein who asked the famous atheist Richard Dawkins, what if after you died, you ran into God and he says, what have you been doing, Richard? I've been trying to be nice to you. And Richard Dawkins' reply was, well, he basically quoted another atheist, Bertrand Russell, Basically said this, if you get before God, you discover that you die and discover that God does exist. And he says to you, what have you been doing with your life? I've been trying to be nice to you. Richard Dawkins reply was this. I would say to him, sir, why did you take such pains to hide yourself? I think we have to hear that. Because I believe to me, it's an indication that all people deep down are offended that God should seem absent. And silent. 
I think unbelief is actually not scientific at all. I think it's incredibly personal. I think we all have a presupposition in life that God should be talking to us and making himself available to us. And when he doesn't, we're offended. This is amazing. A 21st century atheist essentially says the same thing that David said in his prayer 3,000 years ago. God, where are you? People forget that it was God who first posed that question to us in Genesis chapter 3. Because we started the hide and game, the, 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 the game of hide and seek. He came to us while we were hiding and said... Where are you? But I think harder than believing in God is waiting for God. And so both religious, moralistic people and atheists, all of them are essentially saying, you know what? God, I'm sick and tired of waiting. Forget you. I don't want to wait anymore. I'm done. And even when God finally did appear, we said to him, hey, you're not the Messiah we were looking for. You're not the God we wanted. And we killed him. From the first moment Jesus was born, the son of God, humanity was trying to get rid of him. Beneath your lack of patience, my friends, is a desire for control that would reject God even if he did show up. And offer you his advice and his counsel and his response. That lack of control that you have right now and is making you impatient will not go away when God finally gives you an answer. Because scholars believe that God's answer to David in the psalm is, wait. You're asking to seek my face? My answer to you is, wait even more. You'll only learn patience, my friends, if God becomes worth waiting for. Your lack of patience is because you don't believe God is worth waiting for. The people who live by faith, they believe that God is worth waiting for. What did David say? Wait for the Lord. He didn't say wait for the response, wait for the desired outcome Wait for the thing you're praying for and hoping for. He simply says, wait for the Lord. Can you even do that? Can you just wait for him? Seek my face, he says. Not seek a solution. Seek my face. Seek me, not the answer to the problem. Just last week, I had the privilege of hearing a man. Uh, I was with another church's elder board interviewing somebody for membership because they're a mission church and I serve on their borrowed session. And I had the privilege of hearing this grown man tell us the story about how he came to faith in Jesus. And he said to us during that conversation, the beauty of Jesus Christ is undeniable. Once you know him, you cannot deny him. You cannot resist him as you truly discover him for who he is. Theologians call that irresistible grace. 
What is it that David said in verse 4? One thing I have asked for. The one thing I want more than anything. Now, don't forget, he's asking for deliverance. He's waiting for an answer. But in the midst of it, he says, the one thing I want is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Are you impatient? Are you struggling to be patient in a particular situation of waiting right now? Have you forgotten, friend, just how beautiful the Lord Jesus is? Have you never discovered that? Do you need to be reminded of the beauty of Jesus? Or do you need to taste that he is good for the first time? I would suggest you start there. And for the sake of time, here's just one aspect of the infinite beauty of Jesus Christ. Just one. His patience. Since we're talking about it, Jesus is a very patient man. He reflects a very patient God. A God who says to us over and over again throughout the millennia, where are you? Where are you? And throughout your life, where are you? Where are you? And he's always there. He's waiting. He's just waiting for us to finally realize that what we need more than a solution is him. Is just being with him in his presence, beholding his beauty, delighting in him alone. What was it we read earlier? What Peter said in his second letter to the church? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Now, this is a man whose people had to wait thousands of years for their Messiah. Just as you and I are waiting for his return ever since then. Peter said, God isn't slow like people talk about slowness. He's patient towards you. Ah, and so now we discover why we don't always get a response. God is patient. We just think God is inactive and holding out on us. No, he's patient. Like a good parent. Like a wise teacher. The silence and the absence is actually patience. It's a virtue, not a liability. And Peter says, God isn't slow, like some people count slowness, but is patient towards you. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should repent. God's patience led to your repentance. He waited and waited and waited until you finally woke up and opened your eyes and gazed upon the beauty of Jesus. Love is patient, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says. If you've been to 10 weddings, you've probably heard it nine times. Love is patient. Well, it says somewhere else that God is love. Therefore, God is patient. And the silence and the inactivity is because he is waiting for you to finally listen in the silence and gaze upon his beauty. It says in Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth 
his son. Not when we wanted it. When the time was right, a patient God sent his son to live a patient life, three decades with a bunch of people who wanted him to do this thing and that thing, who were never satisfied with what he said, who were never satisfied with what he did, who ended up putting him on a cross, but was patient. Jesus is patient. He has waited all of human history for you. Now you wait. You wait with him, not for him. He's already come. He's already shown us the depths of his love by going to a cross for us. He's already shown us that we're going to live forever and be fully restored and reconciled by coming out of a tomb. You don't need to wait for Jesus anymore. His spirit is with you if you belong to Jesus Christ. You need to now wait with him. As you wait in the silence, as you wait in the inactivity, know that Jesus is right there with you. That's the life of faith. I am not waiting for God. I am waiting with him to get through this trial. I am waiting with him for when he is ready to move. The ancients, they had a pillar of smoke and fire. And when it moved, they moved. And when it stopped, they stopped. And when it stopped, it protected them from their enemies. It was the presence of God. And that spirit is in you as a Christian. You are waiting with Jesus in the silence and in the inactivity. He is very busy in his patience. He's not doing nothing. Trust him. Wait with patience. Trust the Lord, take courage, and wait. God will show himself, and he'll do what's best. Let's pray. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom us. O come, thou dayspring, and cheer us up. Come, thou wisdom from on high, and order this world, and order our lives. Come, desire of nations. Bind us together in your purposes, in your will, that we may behold your beauty, so that that may be enough for us. O come, Emmanuel, but not our will. Yours be done. Amen.